welcome to the latest episode of Fratello on Air. If you're not recognizing the voice, it's because I have not been on the show before. Sorry. <laughs> My name is Balash Ferenzi and I'm here in room 4412. On all your fans out there. <laughs> on Dubai Watch Week at the Waldorf Astoria, where we are um, housed for uh, the fourth edition of Dubai Watch Week with Robert Jan in his room recording the next episode. Yeah, hello and uh, and welcome uh, to all our listeners. Um, yeah, we have a bit of an alternative setup, so perhaps the sound is not as good as you're uh, used from us. I'm um, not sure if that is good, but perhaps it's even less than uh, the normal. But uh, yeah, we, were, uh, we we thought it would be a nice idea to record something uh, uh, here in Dubai while we're here, the last day of the Dubai Watch Week. And as Balash said, it's the fourth edition. Uh, we skipped the first edition then two years ago. Um, we went also together here to Dubai. Then last year, there was no Dubai Watch Week in Dubai, but in London instead, together with Christie's. Um, I was there as well. And yeah, this year again in Dubai, uh, fourth edition. They had a pretty uh, interesting lineup. Uh, but first, uh, yeah, I think we would like to thank um, the Siddiqui family for hosting this this exactly. wonderful uh, wonderful event. Uh, Siddiqui is a, a retailer in um, in Dubai. Um, they have a, a yeah quite a impressive number of uh, watches uh, that they carry, and yeah, they decided actually to to host a watch week for watch enthusiasts, for watch press, and for watch brands. To I think not to show novelties so much but more to educate yeah probably now it's maybe a bit about novelties as well but in the beginning i think it was just to share the love of watches and um um maybe um bring brands and the watch press to dubai to to understand that there's a huge uh, number of fans and collectors in the middle east um and what started out as a Maybe a side project for Siddiqui. I guess it's still a side project, but it has been grown into a really, really um, serious watch week with um, many different locations, which we'll talk about. And um, and now there are brands who actually create special models for the Middle East and for um, the UAE. Um, so yeah, I guess now they have some releases. But the main idea, as Robert Chan said, is not to to um, bring out new novelties. Um, it's something else. So we'd like to thank them for having us here and the whole team who organized and sent us emails one after the other after the other <laughs> um, because they really get, did a great job um, flying everybody out. Not only us, but many, many, many of our friends and and um, colleagues from the watch media as well as from um, other brands and basically other areas of life. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll touch upon that uh, later on as well. Um, I think first we would like to, uh, to like to start with a wrist check, what we always do with our podcast. So, Balash, what are you wearing? I am wearing a um, Rolex GMT sixteen seventy five, which is um, one of my favorite watches, and I think it's the watch that I had with me two years ago. It's from um, from nineteen sixty seven. I um, I got it a few years ago. Um, maybe three, four years ago, through the help of one of our friends. He knows who he is, not in the industry anymore. And um, I had to give up some, some nice watches for it. And at the time, it wasn't that 
expensive. Um, obviously, since then it's gained value, so I'm a bit reluctant to travel with it. But I thought that um, that um, this is a piece I should bring, and it was actually very fitting this Saturday, which we'll also talk about later on, um, having a Rolex on me. Um, so yeah, so that's my watch, um, 1675 Rolex GMT from 1967. Yeah, I brought a, a number of watches, uh, but today I'm uh, I'm wearing my. Uh Grand Seiko, and um, because we had a Grand Seiko uh, cocktail party uh, last week, and Grand Seiko is also represented here. Um, of course, I bought my my Gold Speedmaster. I thought it was a suitable uh, watch to wear here, and I brought a Rolex. Um, it's actually my first Rolex that I got in 2002. It's a Datejust 1600 on a leather strap. Um, I think a 1600 per definition came on an oyster bracelet in the past, but mine came on a, at least I bought mine in 2002 on a Jubilee bracelet. Um, so probably they, they swapped it uh, when it was delivered or someone swapped it later on. Anyway, it's on a Jubilee, but I wear mine on a, on a leather strap. Then the last watch that I brought is a G-Shock. Um, I thought it was a fun watch to wear and to bring. And uh, it will be featured in one of the upcoming articles on Fortello, probably already been published when you when you hear this. Um, it's for 52 Mondays um, um, feature that we uh, we are doing. Um, so yeah, I brought a couple of watches. What was not really my intention after uh, Michael Stockton's uh, adventures of uh, bringing watches into uh, other countries outside of the EU. Um, so yeah. Um, but I brought brought them anyway. I think uh, it, it's fine. I can I can uh, um, yeah get away with it. I hope um, it's always a bit of a stressful situation when you bring more watches um, back home. You have to pass customs, um, but it is what it is. So uh, yeah, let's see what happens. I will wear the most expensive one and uh, tuck some away uh, um, in in the suitcases. So uh, back to Dubai Watch Week 2019. Um, what has changed uh, compared to the the previous one and let's not see the one in london as the previous one because i think that was a, like a dubai watch week light basically side project yeah. as a side project together <coughs> with christie's that uh in my best memory only was about panel talks there were no novelties and it was much smaller in size that's why i wasn't there for yeah it was smaller in size indeed and i think it was not a full week a few days yeah if i'm uh, if my memory serves me correctly so compared to the dubai watch week 2017 um i think it became bigger in terms of space absolutely um we talked to um shruti one of the organizers yesterday uh, or the day before and i can't remember the exact numbers but i think she said that they doubled the space and actually went over um uh, the the floor space um, compared to 2017, I, I, I don't, I don't remember. It was three three thousand square meters, maybe last uh, 17, and it's six thousand five hundred. Yeah, they doubled it this this yeah. year, right? Yeah. So the the space changed, but what also has changed is I think the number of brands. Yeah. I think the number of watch media. I think now we saw more watch media than we saw in the past. In 2017, I saw fewer titles. Uh, there are some some new titles uh, being added. Um, I saw different people on the panels. Uh, what in 2017, they also had these panel talks or panel discussions and forums. You basically you saw the same people 
um, rotating yeah. uh, quite a lot. And I think they addressed that pretty well by choosing other people for their panel talks uh, in this edition, which um, which is nice. It gives a bit of a, a different dynamic uh, every time. And um, yeah, it also gives the chance to so, to so, some other people to uh, to to speak basically. Mm. Um, what also changed was the location of the panel talks. They there were multiple places where panel talks were being given, and now there was like one big um, stage yeah. basically, and um, that was quite interesting. And then they had a creative hub, yeah. w- which they used for the introduction of certain new watches, like uh, Hublot did and Vacheron. And um, the creative hub was also used for for talks, basically, but a bit more in a laid-back um, atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, there was a very nice talk uh, by um, um, Ross Povey, the, the Tudor collector, and one from uh, Momentum. And Momentum is a, a vintage watch dealer here in Dubai. Um, actually, he said he's almost the in the same building as the where the event is. Right, and uh, right, and he said I think that he's the only designated vintage dealer in the Middle East, but at least in Dubai. I think that's what I remembered from his presentation this morning. Yeah, if you I don't if you're um if you know Dubai or if you're familiar with the city, this whole event is at the DIFC, the Dubai International Financial District. There's a huge um area in the city full of um, office buildings, uh, banks, um, law firms, and, and other financial uh, institutions. And in between, there's the, the the building called the Gate, which is a huge building shaped of a gate. And um, under this, under and around this building, there's a square with fountains and, and cafe, uh, coffee shops and restaurants and stuff like that. And this is where, where we have um, the buildings built up. There's one building, as Robert Jan said, for the panel talks. There's another building uh, called the Creative Hub for the presentations, where you have couches and it's really a, a bit of a laid-back atmosphere. Then you have pop-up restaurants. Then you have um, some other buildings in the back for uh, for Christie's and also for um, watchmaking workshops. So if you work in the DIFC or if you're around Dubai Watch Week visiting next time, you should you should come to the DIFC because there's uh, plenty to see, um, even if you're not press or um, or not brands. And speaking of brands, in the middle of the gate, there's a huge um, building, like a pop-up building, where all the brands are are um, are having their dis- displays. Two years ago, I think it was two different buildings. Now it's one huge in the middle where you have um, each and every brand. Yeah, except for one brand, which was not in the in that building, and that brand is Rolex, and um, they had a separate location. But we'll uh, I will back I will get back to that uh, a bit later on. To give you an uh, idea of the brands that were there, are there, were there, today is the last day. It's uh, Debetune, uh, Genus, uh, Ludovic Boulevard, um, Charles Frotsam, a very interesting brand that we uh, we will cover soon on Fortello. Uh, as mentioned, Grand Seiko, there's Singer, uh, Ulysse Nardin, there's uh, Zapek, Tutima, uh, HYT watches, um, I think that those were Friedrich Constant I saw. Tudor, Bellendros. Uh, Ulysse Nardin, um, Jacob Co. So there are quite a high number of watches uh, inside. I think we forgot a few, but it was quite an impressive uh, setup. And uh, yeah, as mentioned, Rolex was a bit different this year. They did not display new watches because, well, 
they're not they, they're not, they don't have them. <laughs> they don't have them. Um, but what they did was quite nice. They have a um, they built like a yeah a, a, a building was it yeah, with, with a lounge like a, yeah a lounge a, a on lounge. top of a fountain yeah <laughs> whatever that is. There was a, a lounge uh, where you could drink coffee or something else uh, with books, and it was very n- nicely done. Then in the center was an exhibition that focused on the Rolex Submariner um, with like a timeline from the first Submariner till uh, today's Submariner. Yeah. And um, it focused on the, the, yeah, the bracelet, the movement, the case, how, it's, how, right. how it processed, uh, how, it, how it developed uh, throughout the years. It was very interesting. And on the left side, um, quite a spacious room there were pieces from the private collection from the Siddiqui family which were vintage Rolexes well, yeah so there were a number of uh, day dates special ones uh, special uh, Daytonas with the uh, pocket uh, watch crest yeah with the crest on the dial there was a pocket watch with a like a coin a coin watch yeah uh, there was a pocket watch with a Rolex a inside Midas Rolex Midas watches yeah the King Midas models so it was quite interesting to see all these vintage pieces in the in their uh, little museum that they had going on there and um yeah it was a nice setup i have to say uh, uh so rolex was not there in the in the big hall where all, all, all the other watches uh, watch brands were um tudor was there tudor was there yeah breitling was there from the bigger brands um iwc was there iwc was there uh, bell and ross so yeah there were quite some some big brands uh, there we had the chance to to walk around a few times to talk to some of them to take some pictures of watches that we haven't seen yet or were especially um made for for dubai or the middle east um, very good example and perhaps one of my favorites was uh, the bulgari octo not the finissimo so the normal octo and they make one with a green dial very nice like emerald green color dial it's not a limited edition it's not um, numbered or um, yeah uniquely numbered but it's uh, yeah not a limited but it's only for the for the Middle East so you can only buy it here in the boutique and uh, yeah that's what I really uh, liked from uh, from Bulgari and in general one of my favorite uh, brands that I uh, or watches that I uh, encountered here um, what about you um, I think out of all the watches that were made exclusively for the Middle East, the one that I liked the most was, um, I would say, probably the Singer Reimagined, the Green Singer Reimagined, which you can you can see on my Instagram. I don't know if it's on Fratello's Instagram, but if you if you follow me, or if you don't follow me, then you can follow me now. It's uh, at F E R E N C Z I B A Z S. It's a very in, very easy uh, name. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> exactly. So you can see there it's a it's a green uh, green strap, green dial, singer reimagined. Uh, looks exactly like the previous models, um, but um, but it's a green edition for for the UAE, um, and I think that was um, a very very nice looking watch. But indeed, the the Bulgari that Robert Jan mentioned was also um, a beautiful deep uh, blue from certain angles, almost black. Uh, color dial, which um, which you can only get here. So anybody's listening from the Middle East, especially from Dubai, if you like that watch and you should like that watch, then make a move. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, the, the the brands were interesting to see, but I have to say we were mainly to be found in the in the uh, Creative Hub or in the Horology Forum where the panel talks uh, took place. 
Um, it was also open for the public, which is a good thing. So a lot of collectors uh, locally here, they visited um, uh, Dubai Watch Week to have a look at the new watches, to talk to the brands, talk to watch media, to and to uh, yeah to, to each other. It's a nice place to meet, I think. And um, but what I heard from one of the locals is that he was a bit surprised that some of his other watch friends, yeah, didn't didn't show up because they're interested in watches, but their interest only goes so far. Um, but yeah, despite that, I think I saw a lot of collectors and people who are interested in watches to uh, to join this show. And one thing that is absolutely not true is that Rolex does not produce enough Daytonas because the amount of Daytonas we see every day during these panel talks by, I don't know, well, other than Christian Hagen, not really from Watch Press, but from probably local visitors, is just insane. I think today at the Creative Hub, uh, during the Momentum presentation, we had five guys or six guys sitting next to us, and out of that six, three or four were wearing uh, new Daytonas. Yeah, I think, uh, forget the Daytonas, um, I think I even saw more Nautilus watches. That was crazy. So, yeah, if you're wondering where all these Daytonas and Nautilus watches go, I think Dubai is probably one of the places. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see that um, so many people were wearing Daytonas and Nautilus um, that are yeah joined that joined Dubai Watch Week as a end consumer basically. Sometimes even double wristing Daytona on one end, Nautilus on the other. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was crazy. So, um, but yeah, we I think we saw some other watches as well on on the wrist of people. I think there were a lot of Seiko uh, enthusiasts here, yeah. which is interesting. Of course, the number of Speedmasters was uh, yeah. satisfying to see for us. Um, even some Speedy Tuesday models. Um, but yeah, I think Rolex is a big big name and Patek as well, and it really shows. And, and AP. AP, yeah, and AP. The Royal Oaks were also uh, crazy. Yeah. Ladies, crazy amount. Ladies wearing men's APs, skeletonized uh, beyond There was a lady. Um, we were having we were having um, a dinner one night, and I was waiting for my uh, for my food. Obviously, a burger and um, no schnitzels here. <laughs> and um, a lady was uh, picking up her food, wearing a skeletonized uh, AP, rose gold. Um, you don't really see that often in. Europe, especially not at the burger joint, whatever burger joint you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, no, I think it was a lot of fun. I think there's a serious amount of uh, watch people and watch collectors here. And I think, to be honest, that um, a lot of people, and including myself, in the past, I said SIHH and now Watches of Wonders and Baselworld could take uh, the Dubai Watch Week as an example. And I certainly believe that's true still for a lot of things but it's not a trade show it's you so there were i think seven new watches introduced yeah. in total seven or eight and uh, of course in basel the number is much much higher of or at watches and wonders and the dynamic is also therefore totally different where basel world and uh, sihh are always kind of time critical um, and we are with a big team there and I think most of the, the media are there with full force um, writing about the watches taking pictures, doing video and so on there's no time um, yeah, it's not time critical here uh, with that respect so it's a bit more relaxing for us to be here and just enjoy and, and uh, participate in the, in the panel talks and in the discussions um, so, in the, but yeah, it's not a it's not a trade show that, like a traditional trade show. So that's not completely uh, a fair um, uh, comparison uh, to be made. Um, 
So I think we, we addressed a few things here. What, what do we like about it? Uh, what has changed? Uh, who are there? I think from the press, we didn't touch upon who was here, but it was it was Hodinki, a block to watch, a revolution. Um, uh, watch you seek, Colin Pad, 8 past 10. Time and Tide. Time and Tide, CH24, PL, um, Espiral de Tempo from Portugal. Um, probably um, Spain was represented, Mexico was represented, Switzerland with a number of titles. Yeah, it was quite impressive to see. It. There was quite an no- impressive number of Asia, titles. Asia, yeah. with Peter Chong. Yeah, correct. Um, so that was nice. And it's also nice to, to, to yeah, see your colleagues uh, once in a while again. So I think that was a good, uh, good it will give good exposure there. Um, one thing we forgot actually on who's exposing or exhibiting here and um, that we didn't mention is Watchbox. Word. Watchbox is, uh, I think, an initiative uh, um, connected to Goffberg, Goffberg. Uh, by Danny and Brian Goffberg, who, who, who run uh, Watchbox. Uh, Watchbox, they sell pre owned watches. They are quite well known in the US and now they opened a boutique here in Dubai. Um, at the DIFC, which is the region that uh, that Balash had, uh, told you about earlier, um, we visited the, the more or less pop-up watchbox watchbox uh, boutique at the Dubai Watch Week venue, and they uh, brought us to the to the newly opened boutique since last Monday uh, here in Dubai, and it was quite impressive. They already had quite some traffic. They sold some watches. And um, yeah, they had impressive pieces from the, 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 the Rolexes and Omegas, Breitlings and so on, but also very expensive uh, in, uh, models from Patek, independent brands. FP June, uh, for example, they had a number of models. Um, so I was a bit surprised, to be honest, that uh, they are part of the Dubai Watch Week, uh, that, which is organized by Siddiqui, uh, who is a retailer. Um, I don't think Siddiqui does pre-owned. Um, Maybe now through the partnership with... Uh, yeah, perhaps they, do. They, they will use them. But I was wondering what will happen if Siddiqui sells a watch that is highly in demand, let's say a Nautilus, and it's being offered to Watchbox by a flipper uh, next day. Well, we heard from um, from uh, Mr. Siddiqui, Mohamed Siddiqui, in one of the panels that they try to trace or they can trace down certain watches and i think maybe the partnership between watchbox also helps them or allows them to to trace them even more and um it was a panel about about waitlist who gets on the waitlist and he he said those people are immediately um well ejected from the waitlist and black black uh, blacklisted so i guess if they see that somebody who was on the waitlist and got a let's say an orderless and tries to flip it, and there's a there's a very nice profit to be made on the Nautilus, according to the the one that was in the watch box, uh, compared to the retail price. Um, obviously, that's watch box's price and not the flipper's price. Um, but still, I think th- that that person will be will be blacklisted forever from uh, from the Siddiqui Holdings, um, well, any any brand that they carry, and they carry pretty much everything. And there was one thing what RJ didn't mention or haven't mentioned yet is the fact that Watchbox had a pop-up store, but they also had a pop-up studio um, where they, well, I'm not quite sure what type of videos they created, but they every day people came and went from that, from that studio, so uh, including us. So they did um, certain discussions and they created content for their um, um, online YouTube channels. Um, we were also interviewed by um, 
by accident, I guess, pretty much, by um, CQ, the watch guy on Instagram, um, who is a, a senior uh, manager of the stores in, in Philadelphia, and he's also part of the the content team. And um, he showed us around. He was the one who took us to the boutique. And then the next day, we had an interview with him, um, um, a nice discussion about um, Speedmasters and watch collecting in general. Um, but we also met... Um, Tim Musso mm-hmm. from um, from Watchbox and had a had a nice uh, brief discussion with him, um, who also created videos and also had a um, I think a presentation at the Creative Hub. So um, so Watchbox was here heavily, not only in terms of watches but also with their uh, content uh, creating team uh, during the week. Yeah, um, Danny Goffberg he appeared quite a few times on on stage which was uh, refreshing to see um that th- there was not really someone from the big watch brands on stage um but i think uh, danny did not take over that role but he yeah shared some insights from a retailer or pre-owned retailer perspective which was interesting in uh, several of the of the watch talks um very sympathetic guy yeah very sympathetic guy i have to say and um, very knowledgeable has a good view on the market and uh, know, knows what's 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 going on basically. Yeah. Um, I think what what I found also a very interesting um, talk, or it was a panel discussion, but it was more of a monologue, was with uh, Jean Claude Biver. Um, I think for someone who is seventy one years old, that was a very very energetic session, and. Um, yeah, he, he, there was the opportunity to ask him some questions, and uh, I think people were really amazed by him. And uh, he got a standing ovation um, when he, he was done. And it was yeah, it was amazing to to witness. I just wanted to add one thing uh, into to Robert Jan's um, thoughts about this this panel. When the room is full, completely full, and F. P. Jean has to sit on the, the steps <laughs> <laughs> to see someone speak. Um, then you know that someone is important in this industry because this is exactly what happened. F. Pijun came maybe a bit late and he was sitting on the steps. There were literally no seats in the room. Um, the place was packed with people and he was sitting on the steps listening to his friend um, talking amongst many things about him as well during his uh, well monologue. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear. Uh, he spoke about his, uh, about his career about how we uh, went from uh, f- yeah from uh, Swatch Group, um, Omega, Blancpain, um, to to Hublot and um, LVMH basically where Tag Heuer and Zenit are. Um, he showed us the watch that he received for his seventy uh, first uh, birthday, which was a uh, Hublot uh, with a sapphire crystal, and then there was the Patek. That he, he gifted himself, which he gifted himself, which was interesting to see. But it was uh, especially interesting to hear about him about sharing his uh, his experience and sharing some advice on uh, that you have to follow your your passion, basically follow your heart, and that's what he already always did. And uh, he gave some wise. Uh, life lessons to be honest um, he spoke about um, his working day that it starts before five o'clock in the morning and uh, ends late because uh, by working so many hours per day extra if you uh, calculate that to weeks and months he said um, if i stretch my working day long enough i can be a year ahead of my competition um, which was quite interesting I'm, I'm not sure if you can be uh, full on for an entire long day 
but um, uh, it was an interesting uh, approach. And um, yeah, it, it was a, a great session, uh, to be honest. Um, he gives a, what, a lot of uh, one-liners and a lot of uh, open doors, perhaps. But um, I think uh, open doors are there to, uh, to, to be kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> and um, no, it was great. He, um, he, he wrote a book. Or, um, it, it was a book with him. He was interviewed by this author, Gérard Lelage, I think. And uh, the book is called um, the, the Wizard of Swiss Watchmaking, and I think he really is. And, um, yeah, the book was uh, given away at one of the uh, panel uh, earlier. No, at the introduction of the Hublot, the new Hublot, the Hublot yeah. for the Middle East or for Dubai. And, um, yeah, a lot of people got that book and um, Hublot, uh, sorry, Biver was happy to uh, to sign it and, uh, yeah, did some, some pictures and selfies with some of the guests. It was really uh, interesting to uh, to observe. And uh, talking about that Hublot, it was also one of the watches that was introduced here in uh, in Dubai. It was an interesting watch because the time runs, uh, the hands run Backwards. counterclockwise. Yeah. Um, it has a special uh, numerals, Arabic, uh, Arabic numerals. Uh, well, in- indication. Like classic Arabic. Yeah, classic. Um, and it runs uh, counterclockwise. It's already sold out, I think. I'm not sure. It was, it was not. It was a limited run. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how many pieces. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but it was an interesting watch because it was a bronze Hublot watch, Hublot Classic, classic Fusion. Fusion. Yeah. And uh, with bronze, you immediately think of um, that the watch will age and will get this patina on the on the case. But Hublot uh, did their um, uh, trick with materials. They're very good with materials like the like the the, the King Gold and so on. Um, it will not get any patina. It will stay as it is. So it is an interesting watch. We'll put a picture in the in the show notes so you can have a look. Um, yeah, then we we met some uh, some interesting uh, uh, local gents here that um, yeah chaperoned us around <laughs> and Dubai style. Dubai style. So um, that was nice. Uh, one of the guys we'll only mention his uh, his first name is uh, Nadir. Um, he took us to the uh, DP World Tour Championship Dubai 2019. It's a golf tournament. At the Jumeirah Golf Estates. Yes, and that sounds uh, that looks as fancy as it sounds. Yes. It's, it was a, quite an impressive uh, golf course and uh, sponsored by Rolex. And uh, we saw a lot of Rolexes yes. <laughs> among the, among the uh, audience, the, 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 the spectators. Not too many locals. No, no, not very. Um, uh, not, not many locals. We saw a lot of people from Europe, from the Netherlands, even from the UK. I think, Britain, yeah. yeah. And um, that was interesting to to see. Uh, we saw Rory play. Yep. And um, yeah, that was yeah, that was a blast. So we uh, we 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 followed Rory a bit uh, around while we played uh, on a Saturday. So that was an amazing uh, trip for us. And I think we ended like every evening with burgers. Yeah, almost. I yeah. Guess. So uh, no, that was a great, uh, great day. Um, looking at the stats of the game, I think uh, Jan Ram, Jon Ram, I think he he became first. Tommy Fleetwood second, then uh, Mike Lorenzo, Farah, and fourth Rory McIlroy. Yeah. So yeah, that was the game. Uh, we didn't watch it all. We we yeah we joined him on a few holes, and uh, that was cool. It was so amazingly hot. Yeah. yesterday and of, this was not in my agenda so i just brought uh, my suit i brought a couple of jeans to wear in the evening 
But I didn't uh, count on uh, being on a golf course, so it was so hot and I was wearing jeans. So the first thing I bought was a cap and shorts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, it was uh, just uh, too crazy. Um, but it was a fun day. It was a little break from the from the Dubai Watch Week. Uh, we uh, so we were there for a couple of hours, and then we went straight back to uh, the Dubai Watch Week the to the evening program. And uh, and uh, talking about the evening program. There were quite some amazing cocktail parties, yep. some less amazing cocktail parties, yep. but I think let's uh, especially talk about the amazing ones. Yeah. I don't know if you can elaborate. Yeah, so the it, it, just for those of you who don't um, know the setup, um, Dubai Watch Week, as Robert Chan said, usually have um, panel talks or, or presentations or new watch releases during the day in these two locations. But next to these locations, you have a... Uh, a pop-up restaurant where you can have lunch um, if you're Dubai Watch Week visitor and then in the evening they remove the tables and that pop-up restaurant which is basically an open-air tent becomes a party place and then both the Horology Forum and the um, Creative Hub has a terrace and those places also become a party place so every evening you have two, three brands uh holding a cocktail party um maybe presenting a new watch or just bringing attention to one of their recently released pieces um at these cocktail parties now when we finish with the day which is usually 5 6 p.m we come back to the hotel it's about an eight minute walk as our friend lukas told us after he um, promptly timed it on his omega speedmaster yesterday evening um, so it took us about eight minutes to walk back to the Waldorf Astoria where we where we stayed. Um, took a shower, changed, and around seven, eight o'clock, um, the party starts. And right now it's almost eight o'clock in the evening. After we finish, after we finish uh, recording the podcast, we're gonna go back to the last cocktail parties. And um, right, what was the best cocktail party? The best cocktail party to me. What? No, I want to say Raisons. <laughs> no, um, it was was it Gerard Perigo on Friday yes. night? Yeah, Friday night. With a crazy lady uh, DJ. Yeah, Friday night, crazy, de- <laughs> crazy lady DJing, um, crazy drinks. Um, we arrived quite uh, like in the beginning, quite early. So we uh, managed to find a table very close to the bar, and um, it was very convenient. Very convenient for us, um, not so much for the waiters who we constantly stopped and asked for more drinks. And as you would have it, um, it's not only Robert Jan and me, but obviously, as I said, we have Lukas Doshkots from CH24PL joining us. Um, we had. Uh, Peter Chong from Deployant. We had Christian Hagen, sadly, also joining us from 8 past 10. Rosetta Hirsch. Rosetta Hirsch. Shout out to Rosetta. Hi. Um, oh, I don't know who else. But a bunch of other guys. Carlos. Uh, Carlos Torres from Portugal. Kleine uh, Matrose, we du, call him. Du Kleine Matrose. And um, yeah, and a bunch of others. So that was a, that was a great evening. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, the guys who who um, Robert I mentioned earlier, some of the locals also managed to to sneak in. So um, um, they were also um, around. And then afterwards, we went to have dinner with some of these guys. Right? Was it at the? Well, I have a memory block out, so I, don't, <laughs> I can't remember. I think I, I think I think after the event, we um, we went to have dinner. Um, and by dinner, I mean burgers. 
um, on the DIFC to to this restaurant, Peter, Lukas, uh, Christian, Robertian, and me. So um, so yeah, that was the that was the the, the best party, and um, hopefully now there's the. Uh, Another party going on. I can't remember the name of the brand. Who's hosting it now? Belarus. One is Belarus, and the other one, I'm not sure. Anyways, we're gonna check it out for a few hours, maybe, and then um, that will conclude our our um, official program of Dubai Watch Week 2019. Sadly. Yes, we are very much looking forward to uh, to next year's uh, Dubai Watch Week. They will be doing something. There will be the World Expo uh, in 2020 in Dubai. Um, that also. Um, holds them back a bit from doing a larger one so that's why they did this one in 2019 because it wasn't planned uh, uh, before um, so let me uh, uh, explain that a bit when we were, were here in 2017 they said the next one in Dubai will be 2020 during the expo but I think uh, that was a bit too uh, too uh, yeah, too, too optimistic or too far away. I don't know. So now they want to do. Now they did the 2019, and there will be a 2021. And pro- I think, from what I understood, it will be like a light version again. In 2020. In 2020. Yeah. So, but we're looking forward. It's a really nice um, initiative by the Siddiqui uh, family, and they really know how to organize these things. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it for this uh, this podcast, and uh, we hope you're back next time. See ya.